Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Say something. Say something! Hey everyone and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. It's Paige. And Lindsay. And we're back with another jam-packed episode of information based off of Your Brain's Not Broken by Tamara Rosier. And we are on chapter seven? Six. Six. We're flying through this book. We're flying. Actually, our entire season, this entire season, season three of Mindful as a Mother, will be us dissecting this book and giving all of the tips and tricks for adults and kids with ADHD. Yeah. So this week's episode will be about adults and how um, we can enhance our motivation and kind of hack our motivation with an ADHD brain. And then next week, we'll be bringing you all the tips for your kids and even more specifically for teenagers and motivation. And I think that will be really useful useful because getting an ADHD teen to be motivated is tricky. <laughs> Rough. Teens are wild on their own and then throw in some neurospiciness and it's like, okay. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This summer is really exciting too because we're going to be talking about our summer sanity activities that we launched last year. So we're actually going to spend an entire podcast episode in July talking about our activities you could do with your kids over summer that are low cost or free and then give you the printed out pdf instructions for all of them just for some bonus summer fun yeah and it's really difficult sometimes to find things that are interactive and connection building but also easy to do and if you're someone like me that is not a pinterest mom like it's nice to just have the list all together and i just have to follow the instructions like boom 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 yeah and they're easy they're inexpensive because it's it's important to us that things are affordable and accessible Mm -hmm. and most importantly fun which we're talking about motivation today so motivation murderers the things that keep us from doing the things (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of these are, I think, thought patterns and habits and um, things that we've kind of, as an adult, I was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. These are ways that I found that hack my brain to get me motivated to do the thing, but are actually really ineffective and sometimes harmful to um, my nervous system. And Mm -hmm. so kind of being aware of these thought patterns and behavior patterns has helped me find healthier ones and keeps my nervous system more in a regulated state, which means I'm able to be more present as a parent and I'm not as drained and exhausted all the time from you know, using unhealthy patterns to motivate myself. Yeah. And I think a really important concept is awareness because I think we operate how we operate in the world, right? So we aren't always aware that these are even things that present as barriers for us getting stuff done. So that's the part that I really want to tune into because I hear that feedback from a lot of clients I work with too, where they didn't even realize 
that other people don't do these things or that these things exist for them that make it harder for them. Yeah. And this is kind of some of the unpacking, 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 (laughs) unmasking, deconditioning, whatever you want to call it, that we do as adults with ADHD, whether we've known we had ADHD or we are diagnosed as adults, because um, these thought patterns are very like pervasive and low key, they're subconscious. And so we're just kind of acting from them without thinking about why are we acting from them? Is this a healthy way to do these things? And so I love that we're bringing awareness to it and dissecting it. And selfishly, it's been really helpful for me to reflect on some of the the things that I do that maybe I don't realize I'm doing when I'm doing it. Yeah. And because neurodiversity shows up differently for each person. I think it's really helpful to know that you and I are both neurospicy, but it shows up so differently for both of us. Yeah. And an example of that is like in our last episode for adults, like um, I motivate myself with anxiety and urgency, and that's not something you typically do. And Mm -hmm. so we, you can see how it shows up differently for both of us, even though we're both neurospicy. Yeah. So the first one that I want to talk about is time blindness. Yes, this is a common one. Yeah, so time blindness is our ability to perceive how long something will take. And the barrier usually exists with we either overestimate or underestimate depending on how interested we are in the activity. Yeah, so we tend to overestimate the time something will take that we are uninterested in. So like getting myself to the post office, it is literally across the street from my office (laughs) and I will procrastinate that for as long as possible until there will be a consequence to it. Like until it's like something's going to be late or I absolutely have to send or mail something back. And because I perceive it's going to take forever and I don't have time or I don't have the energy and it literally takes five minutes. Yeah. So this can kill our motivation because if it's an activity that we don't enjoy, we tend to typically overestimate the amount of time it is going to take us to do that activity. And then we don't do it at all. Exactly. Because it's going to take too long. I don't have enough time, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I think energy blindness, and we'll get into this a little bit too, is like a thing with ADHD. So sometimes too, it's like the perceived amount of energy something will take for me or like... That's part of it, too. It's not just, like, the duration of time. Yeah. And I think, this is going to take forever. Or if we're really interested in an activity or interested in getting something done, we could underestimate the amount of time it takes to get something done. Yes. And how many times, like, have you done that with work or content creation or like sometimes when I'm like really excited about something that we're like doing or launching like I'll think oh I can knock this out in like a couple hours and then I'm like oh no that was like a four-hour project and I'm into it it's not that I don't like it but that then I create stress for myself in my scheduling because I'm not allowing myself the full time to do the thing yeah so here's a real life example for me of this because I like to quilt or sew in my spare time, among other, like, grandma activities. Which You are a real-life grandma. Yeah, honor my grandma because she taught me all of my arts and crafts and baking and quilting and all of that. But, and this has happened since I was a child, I will take a project and think it could be done in, like, a sit-down once within 24-hour period of time. And if it doesn't get done within that amount of time, I end up getting frustrated Or I just, in general, don't do the activity. Like, I'll do it up until a certain point, and then I have all of these unfinished projects. 
Yeah, I feel like that happens too. And that's a little bit of like that, like my motivation changes or I lose interest in something. And I've had to like unpack, like it's okay to like let it sit aside or not finish things if I lose motivation Mm -hmm. and then come back to it when I'm motivated again. Because I will be motivated again. Yeah, here's another another executive difficulty that I think goes hand in hand with timeliness is like following step-by-step directions for projects and understanding the amount of stuff and time it'll take to complete that project. Yeah. So for me, that's like cooking. I'm not traditionally the best cook because I have difficulty following the directions step-by-step or I underestimate the amount of time it's going to take to do each step or to get all the necessary supplies. It's, it is like a classic me. Yeah, I do the same thing in that. And we were kind of laughing about this with the Wi-Fi password, but with cooking is like, I read half of it and then I just like get started. And then in the middle, I get stressed because I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Uh-huh. I just don't take the time to fully understand the steps and maybe plan them. I just kind of go for it. Yeah. And then I end up frustrated. And we were laughing because we saw a TikTok about this <laughs> yesterday in the Airbnb. And then when I was trying to log into the uh, Wi-Fi password page had to tell me three times because I only listened to the first part before I just started going. And so it's like, I'm just winging it, right? Like, But I need to like slow myself down. And I did that a lot in school growing up. Like I wouldn't read the full directions and then I'd have to either go back and fix something or I'd like get things wrong because I didn't take the time to fully understand what I needed to do. Yeah. And time blindness shows up in another, like a third way that I want to bring up because this is different for us. Yes. And so I can write down a task of to-dos for the day And I can look at it and realistically tell you what's going to get done in the day and Mm -hmm. it'll get done. Period. Yeah. That's it. And I believe that's different for you, right? Um, yes. And I've, I've worked on it, so I'm better at it now, but like, yes, I'm not very good at like, I'll, I'll put too much and it's more of like, uh, for me, it's like, I have the time in the day, but then that's not taking into account my need for like rest and overstimulation. So I'm a highly sensitive person in that, like I get mentally exhausted in the afternoon and I need like that reset time. Mm -hmm. And so if I put too many tasks, I find myself pushing through my reset time or not, not getting the the things done on the list that I wanted to get done. So it's more of like an energy blindness. Like I think I'm going to ha- have this unlimited amount of energy to do these 10 things. Mm-hmm. And I probably could get them done if I push myself, but I had to like reprioritize, like, is it more important to honor my nervous system? And it absolutely is because that fully impacts how I show up with my kids and the things that are most important, like the tasks, like there, I mean, I got to get some stuff done, but it's not. Yeah. So I think you'll you'll really be able to relate to the audience on the energy draining and blindness factor because yeah. that isn't something that factors into mine as much. But I could write down a list of all the things that need to be done and I could tell you this will be done, this amount will be done in this day and this amount will be done in that day. Like realistically, just I have a really good estimation of time. And you're really good at like... Last night we were at dinner and she was talking to me about like planning her backyard. She's doing all these things in her yeah. backyard. And she knows like how many weeks, how many weekends. And I was kind of shocked because for me, that's not something I do going into a project. I'm kind of like, and I struggle with that estimation piece of like, okay, this is going to take, we need like a full weekend to do this. But then like, if we have a birthday party or a dance practice or an activity, like estimating that can get really hard for me. And then we end up just not, like I end up not doing the thing on the weekend because I can't figure out the time piece of it. Yes. So this is where masking comes in. Yeah. Because I haven't always been really great at this. And this is where that self-awareness piece I said is so important because 
I rarely will miss a deadline or not get the things done that I've committed to or all these things, right? So just like I was talking about doing a quilting project, I have learned that about myself. So I have come up with skills to put into place to support me in overcoming that amount of it. So like with my backyard projects, I'm going to be refinishing my deck because it's just time. I need lots of splinters. Also, the word deck makes me laugh. Um, Because you want to say yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, so what I did instead of just like going and buying the shit and then doing the deck, however, I feel like my brain says to do it. I know that that's my tendency. So I acknowledge that. And instead, I took myself back. I gave myself a pause and I was like, okay, so I'm going to look up instructions. And I just was on like Home Depot's YouTube channel and watch the instructions beginning to end. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to need to get all of the supplies first. So like now that I know how to do it, I need to make sure I have all of the supplies. And then I was like, okay, realistically, how much time do I think it's going to take? And I would love to say it's going to be one day. We're going to get this knocked out, but it's not realistic. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this into two weekends of three days each and know that if I get it done before that, awesome. But I am budgeting in some extra time because I know my tendency is to just be like, got the shit, doing the thing, boom, done. Yeah. And I think for me, like, that's where I struggle because with big projects like that, whether it's, you know, this or the, um, a yard work project or house project, I don't take the time before to like pause and plan. I feel like I'm going to like plan, pick up the stuff and get it done in the amount of time. And so that's really helpful for me even to like maybe try that out when it comes to time blindness. There's also a really cool app. I haven't tried it yet. It's called Life Cycle. It's free in the i um, in the Apple store. I don't know if you have to subscribe. I haven't even signed in. But I saw it on an ADHD Instagram and it helps you track your time for like, um, and, and the phone kind of uses AI to automatically track like where your location is and those things. They're probably selling your info. Here's what I found. Oh, Siri. They're probably <laughs> selling your information, but um, at least you'll know like where you're <laughs> like spending time and like, and you can edit it and stuff, but like you can see where maybe you're having more time blindness. Like things are taking longer than you think they would, or you're watching more TV than you think you are. Um, not that watching TV is bad, but I think sometimes we underestimate like how much time we spend doing things mm-hmm. and, um, and then we struggle with like how much time things take. So timing, it can be really a yes. good tip. And if you don't have the app, don't want the app, that's totally fine. Just use a timer. So it's some one way to work on time blindness to understand realistically how much time you're spending on something or to better understand how to estimate your time is timing the activities that you don't like doing. Mm-hmm. So like when I have to do the dishes, sometimes I don't really want to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. So I'll say either like, let's see how much I can get done in 10 minutes mm-hmm. or let me time how long it takes to actually do this because mm-hmm. I don't like doing it. I will overestimate the amount of time I feel like I'm spending on it, which isn't the case. And so typically it's like five or six minutes. And if you do this consistently, you'll see that even the unpleasurable activities, you are not spending as much time as you believe you are on them. Yeah. And I think that this coupled with like bigger projects, maybe that you put off, like cleaning my car is a good example of this. Like it's been needed to be like deep clean for like six months, but it just gets more and more overwhelming. And then I think I need more and more time to clean it. And then I finally was like, you know what? This is like causing me distress when I sit in my car because it makes me anxious to 
like look at how dusty and dirty it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take five, 10 minutes and I'm going to clean all the trash out. So I started there. And then like a couple days later, I, um, like drove it through the car wash and I have like 20 extra minutes before I needed to be to an appointment. And instead of normally I'd be like, well, I don't have time to vacuum the whole thing like perfectly. No, I'm going to vacuum however much I can before I need to leave. So just get it as far as I could. And then just like doing it like in little increments like that showed me that one, it's not as overwhelming energy wise and time wise as I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And two, like I actually feel the benefits of having a cleaner car without it being perfectly cleaned. And so like, I feel like, and this is so silly, but I'm a big environment person. Like if my environment is messy, then, um, my inner state is messy. Like outer order, inner calm is like a Gretchen Rubin book. I think, I think it's her that wrote that. I could be wrong, but, um, and, and that saying is like really true to me. Like if my outside environment is calm and organized and clean ish, I feel better internally. And so even my mood in my car has been drastically different and the whole thing isn't even clean. It's still not even clean. And so just, um, taking a step back from maybe what we believe about a task and just starting and doing as much as you can, you'll see the benefits of it. Yeah. Collecting actual evidence. Yeah. One more thing I want to say is I know some people where this shows up for them in a specific way and they didn't realize within their ADHD that this was time blindness. So, so it was, if I have information that's needed on Wednesday, but I meet with a committee that I know they're going to need two days before Wednesday where they need the information, right? I need to edit it. So I'm going to backlog two days. I need to have this done. And in order to have stuff done on Monday, I know I'm going to have XYZ completed by Friday so I can have it turned in and reviewed. And then Monday I can make the necessary edits for the turn in on Wednesday, right? So we're backlogging time based on the time estimations we believe it'll take to complete something. And this is a way a lot of people have learned to to overcome time blindness. Yeah. And and it overcomes that like in our chapter five or six or whatever episodes, um, overcoming like the motivation piece of like um, doing things in smaller bursts, I think is helpful for the energy yeah. piece as well. Because if I use anxiety to motivate myself with a deadline and I'm working on it on Friday night and I did this in college all the time and it's due at midnight, you turn it in online or whatever, like, and I start at 9 PM, like I'm not giving myself enough time. And then I end up like burnt out and exhausted, yeah. but it gives me that buffer time to like, um, manage my energy as well. Yes. Okay. Let's move into energy because it goes hand in hand with time. Yes. Yeah. So energy draining is when we are also over or underestimating the amount of energy something will take. And for me as a neurospicy individual, this doesn't show up for me as much like a level of exhaustion or, or avoiding tasks because I feel like it's going to take too much energy. But I know that Lindsay in her neurospicy land is much more sensitive to energy draining and exhaustion. So will you speak into that? Yeah. And I think this is come stems from like, um, if you know anything about me and my background, I have like, I don't want to say like a traumatic childhood, but I've had some trauma. Okay. And I think that that plays into my nervous system state because when your nervous system is regulated, you have more energy. So as I'm um, working on supporting and nourishing my nervous system, I'm seeing that I have more energy to do the things. And so if that's something you struggle with and you have a history with trauma, I fully, like, I totally recommend working on your nervous system, uh, specifically with your parenting. And we have a masterclass called Calm Mom Happy Kids that really, really helps with that. Go check that out in our stand store. But what it is, is I will, um, it's the same thing with time. So with a task that I don't want to do, I overestimate the amount of energy that's going to take to do the thing, mm-hmm. or I will use um, 
emotionality or anxiety as a motivation and I use up my limited amount of energy being emotional about the task that I don't have the full energy for the task. Mm-hmm. Or that I'll um, have a task that I'm really amped on and I'll underestimate the amount of energy that I have to do the thing. And so then I'll get burned out and then I'll be disappointed because I'm really so passionate about the task, but I don't feel like I have enough energy to complete it. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. We talk a lot about we can even avoid tasks because like, let's say you have something you're very motivated to do that you know is going to take a certain amount of energy. And then there's things that we're less motivated to do, right? So like I was, this is a great example. I did yard work last weekend. And when I was done with yard work, I was going to go on a bike ride. But I had to remind myself that I would still have the space and ability to go on a bike ride, even though I'm doing the yard work. Because in my mind, it's like, oh, I want to do yard work and then I'm going to be too tired to go to this commitment with my friend that I'm really looking forward to that I thought I would do. Yeah. So, and I think for me, it's about like the mental load of like, okay, unpacking like you don't know if you're going to have enough energy or not. So like, don't go into it. Like, just see what happens, right? Like see what, where your energy's at and where I've been playing around with like my awareness and checking in with my body and my energy and honoring it, like trusting myself that I will honor if I'm tired, I will rest, Mm -hmm. um, has helped me a lot because then I'm not over underestimating. I'm just like, okay, let's see how this goes. And I'm learning more about myself. So when I do estimate, it's more accurate. Um, the other thing, and it totally left my mind because that is working memory in an ADHD person. <laughs> While Lindsay is reconnecting. Oh, Go ahead. Okay. Um, it came back. Is that I like, I know what times of day I have the most energy to do the things that I don't want to do, like mundane tasks. So, um, morning time is typically when I do my best admin work, like, and my note work because mm-hmm. I'm not tired and... I have the energy for it. So trying to schedule those things more in the morning is super helpful for me. I really like this idea of balancing our energy and honoring that because the more I think about it, the more I feel like that is really what this part of a motivation murderer is is about. And it's not because you don't want to do the thing, but now you're just so tired. And then it's kind of like we talk about in chapter five, where we end up in that shame spiral, where now we're trying to shame ourselves to push through the energy drain to motivate ourselves to do it, right? Right, and that's where it goes back to the nervous system, because if you can honor your body and your energy, what you're communicating, if you're like a, a people pleaser, a doer, a high achiever, which it happens a lot with ADHD females, right? Mm-hmm. It's where we've pushed through the overstimulation and the, the energy, like the energy's done, but we still push through it, that we end up jacking our nervous systems up but if we can honor that we actually end up having so much more energy to do the things that we want to do and our nervous system learns that it can trust us to rest when we need to and when it learns that you end up in more of a regulated space most of the time because it's not throwing you into freeze because if you don't listen to your body your body's going to make you do it right like yeah you get sick yeah it's a really good example you know how people are like oh if you do too much and you you get sick yeah, I, I get like exertion headaches, so I'll get a headache I'll, or a migraine, I'll get sick, or I will be so exhausted that I literally feel like I cannot get out of bed. I have to like lay down for a full day and like just lounge, and 
I used to have a lot of shame in that, but then I realized I wasn't honoring my energy during the week or during other times. And the more that my body trusts me to do that and the more I'm doing that regularly, I actually don't need that rest time as much because it's like I'm flowing with my nervous system. And in our Come On Happy Kids Masterclass, we talk a lot about the nervous system and how it's made for like stretching the window of tolerance and then resting. Stretching the window of tolerance and then resting. Because that's how you eventually expand. It's a slow stretch. Yeah. And so like allowing myself to like do that a little and like see it play out in real time has been really cool. Yeah. For me, this is a real example of honoring because I also have energetic flows throughout the day, right? Where I am in the morning, I am 10,000% a morning person and I can get so much done in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I hit a lull where I really need to pull it in and rest. And then in, and then I pick it up again later. So usually between the hours of like one in three, if I'm not honoring myself. And so when I think about that, the example for me is like with my kids, because I want to go and do all the things. And so in the morning, we're up, we're doing the things, we're doing the activities, I'm connecting, we're in the yard, doing yard work, whatever. And then being okay in the afternoon, where I'm like, well, we just need to have some like chill time and giving myself permission to do that. And then knowing again, later in the afternoon, I can pick it up and it's okay to do that. Yeah. And honoring that level of energy expenditure throughout the day. Yeah. And I think we we do that really well when we work together. Like we work really hard in the mornings and we take a nap and then we like work in the afternoon and then we take a rest. And then even last night, like we're both no good at night. We thought we're, oh, we're going to work after dinner last night. We both started working and then we were like, no, I don't have the energy for this. And I was really proud of us because like I just recognized it and stopped and you were like, yeah, I'll think about it tomorrow. And I was like, okay, good. We're like honoring what is coming up for us in this moment. Yeah, I knew I knew I wasn't going to be there. And so in attachment with the nervous system and understanding our energy, because that's a really important part of it, uh-huh. is the emotional intense. In chapter five, we talked about the emotional intensity and using anxiety or anger to motivate ourselves. And so emotional intensity can also be... This is chapter seven, so it was chapter six. No, this is chapter six. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> But um, having that high emotionality can also be a motivation killer because of the shame spirals and the anxiety and understanding that if you're forcing yourself to push through this dysregulated state like of doing something and you hate doing it and then it's an even worse experience because you're exhausted and now you're cranky, right? Then the next time you need to do the activity that you don't love you're not going to have any motivation to do it either. Yeah. And I think we'll get into this next week, but like really creating those healthy patterns for our kids is important. Yes. And so understanding that when we're using emotionality, if you're using, like if you're trying to push yourself to do something and it's coming out as anger or anxiety, you're associating that pattern with that thing. So kind of like when I talked last week about shoveling snow I had to find a way to enjoy it or even doing yard work I had to find a way to enjoy it so I could give myself the motivation and then a more positive association with what it was Mm -hmm. and that the part is when I do yard work I really love the end right like the reward comes at the end when the yards look it's so good and I did these hard things but like I didn't want to do it in the moment and so if you have activities you think about like spending time with your friends or with your kids or with your family you're motivated to do that because emotionally you feel happy you feel safe you feel secure you're excited right all those happiest good associations and then if you're thinking about something you don't want to do, like think about the emotions associated with it. So if you can find a way to link at least 
neutral emotional experience with things you don't want to do, you're more likely to end up with the motivation to do them instead of triggering this high emotionality that's going to kill your ability to do the thing. One way I found to really like cement this in is like finding something that I enjoyed to do during the thing, which we've talked about a lot, but then also really taking time to praise myself for doing the thing once I finished it. Mm -hmm. So like, Yes, Lindsay, I know you really don't like to pick up dog poop, but you went out and you picked up all the dog poop. I'm so proud of you. Like even just saying that to myself, like makes like cements that like happy, proud, that dopamine hit, like here this is. So next time I'm like, okay, I can remember that proud feeling I had. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do it. I really, really try to associate it with something that I enjoy. Yeah. So like in our example of our last episode where I did yard work, I listened to Wife Swap on my phone because that's kind of my hyperfixation right now mm-hmm. while I did yard work. So like I got to do the enjoyable activity while I did the thing that I wasn't motivated to do. And that helped neutralize it for me. Yeah. Or um, if I have a lot to do in the evening, like clean the house or do a lot of the dishes or like meal prep for things. Sometimes because I love a warm cup of coffee and this has issues in a whole other domains, but I love a warm cup of coffee. So I will make myself a warm, comforting cup of coffee at 5 p.m. at night to do all the things that I'm not looking forward to doing. Yeah, and you don't, you hate music, so no, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Music is a great motivator for ADHD brains. And so if you're having trouble getting the energy or motivation, listening to an uplifting song, and if you have Spotify, here's a hack, because Spotify's algorithm is fire. And I, side note, I never understand when people have Apple music. I'm like, there's something wrong with you because Spotify has the <laughs> algorithm like honed in. So I can look up like energy playlist and it's a smart playlist and it's like songs that like are more upbeat for me. And I can like get my energy up or get my mood up to do the thing. So even like if I'm having a hard time, maybe wanting to clean or do yard work or, you know, fold laundry, I can, and I'm not like fixated on a show at that point I can turn the music on and kind of get dancing and then all of a sudden I'm like oh I can dance while I do the thing and this leads into like incorporating play as Mm -hmm. well but like music gives you a dopamine hit if it's something you're interested in and this is why I think teens and we'll talk about this in our next episode are so into so into into music. music yeah Yes. And I want to talk about play. We have two more areas we're going to touch on really briefly because we want to make sure that this is easily digestible for you guys. But fun is a motivating factor for people that are neurospicy. Okay. Whether you're an adult or a child, I am a giant child and I embrace that. I'm like, my inner child is so happy right now. Like one of my favorite places in the entire world is the Great Wolf Lounge because it's an indoor water park and I get to do the arts and crafts and there's dance party. Like it's all geared towards children. But if you can find a way to incorporate fun and play into what you are doing, you are more motivated to do it. Yes. And I think we talk about this a lot with our kids, but we don't necessarily talk about it with ourselves. And, um, and a lot of this is because as adults, we have lost our connection with play. And so if you're someone who's like, I don't even know what I like to do for fun. Cause I hear this a lot, yeah. especially with the masking piece, right? Yes. Like we've masked and we've been socially conditioned. Now we're adults. We're adults and to like fit in and be a certain way. Or maybe we were weird as kids. I was a little weirdo. And then I learned that like, not everyone's a little weirdo. So like, I need to hide that, but that's not necessarily true. Like that's what makes me special. So like, what ways can I like bring play to this and asking myself like what did I enjoy as a child Mm -hmm. like what did I like to do and how can I maybe incorporate that more into my routine yeah so I can get more in touch with play so I can find ways to incorporate play into motivation yeah one of my life mottos is that adult money is wasted on adults because I have adult money or people have adult money and then we don't use it to play 
Yeah. I'm like, that is such a waste in my mind. Like, I love the bounce, like trampoline parks. I love water parks. I love playing sports, like adult sports leagues. I love, I told Lindsay I bought rollerblades. I'm going to go rollerblading. Like, I love to play. It's a huge motivating factor for me. And it feels really authentic. Like, I'm in the pool wrestling with the kids. Like, I'm playing sharks and minnows. Like, I want to play. And if you can find a way to make the things you're doing or incorporate play and enjoyable things into what you're doing, you're more motivated to do them. And I feel like I... Play is not something I was naturally good at, but being a child therapist has helped me heal that because you have to play and you have to, um, like, and a lot of it is client directed, but it's allowed me to like get in touch with like actually enjoying yeah. play. Yes. And just cause you don't like maybe like pretend play or those things, it doesn't mean you like play. Like what feels fun for you? Like rollerblading sports. Like we love playing pickleball and competition. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, how can I found, find ways to like have competition and play that are fun? And maybe it's like a board game or Uno or Skippo and adding that in as like a, a family activity or going to play pickleball as like a reward for getting the things that I like have to get done to function and have a life done. Yeah. So like part of uh, my backyard is a fun zone. So I have a trampoline. I'm going to have a built-in fire pit. I bought an above ground pool. And then after I refinished my deck, I was telling Lindsay, I'm painting it rainbow. Yeah. I'm painting part of it rainbow because I love rainbow. I do. I just like the colors together. Yeah. And so for me, that's like one of the motivating factors in getting everything done is that I have the time and dedication to set aside to paint part of it rainbow. Yeah. Um, the last one that we want to touch on, because I think it's really important and it'll be really important for our next episode when we focus more on kids with these motivation killers, is um, interest and lack of interest being a motivation murderer. So the book talks about the research and I really love this part. If you know me, you know, I love her research. So they actually did a study of college age students where they had them lay in an MRI and look at pictures mm-hmm. and They would do like a diamond and then a jar of coins. And they told them every time they saw a jar of coins, they would get money. They would earn a gift card. And so they could see which parts of the brains lit up. And the pleasure center of the brain, one of them, the stratum, is what they were hoping to light up. And so in neurotypical individuals, the pattern would be diamond, jar of coins, a bunch of other images, diamond, jar of coins. So it was like it was predictability. And so in neurotypical people, when they saw a diamond, the pleasure center of their brain would light up in anticipation for the jar of coins, like anticipation of the reward. And in neurospicy people, the pleasure center of their brain, the stratum, didn't light up until they actually saw the jar of coins. And so what they concluded out of this is that neurospicy individuals have a hard time predicting gratification. So like we have a really hard time predicting awards or delayed gratification. I wonder if that has a lot to do with like the working memory piece. Like if it's not in view of us, we forget that it exists mm-hmm. or like our brain forgets that it exists. But one way that you can hack this is by making your rewards more things that are ingrained in your activities or like short term rewards or incentives for yes. yourself, even yes. as an adult, like your cup of coffee, your bath at the end of the night, your like those things are very, and we'll talk about it specific to kids in an air that I see see like a lot of parents make when creating rewards for kids but it I think it really helps to if you do have a neurospicy brain to make those rewards smaller mm-hmm. and more immediate yeah, more accessible so this yeah. is when we talk about and I, we're probably going to talk about this a lot for the rest of the season but breaking things up into bite-sized pieces yeah there's that old joke like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time exactly yeah. Yeah. so it's like Sometimes I literally just do 
10 minutes of a thing and then I watch a show or I do a task and then I watch a show because that's my reward because yeah. I'm super into TV. Guys, no shame on my end. And then you have to recognize that every ADHD person is different and if transitions are hard for you, mm-hmm. like sprinkling the re- rewards, like taking a break for the reward might not be the way to do it. And it works for Paige, but maybe like having something you do while you do the thing, like yes. music while you do the thing or listening to a show while you do the thing can be more helpful or like especially depending on the activity so like in order to motivate myself to fold laundry because I do a load of laundry every day because that's how I break up that elephant if y'all know me too laundry so I wash and dry one load a day one I won't let myself do more than that because I know time blindness realistically I won't have the the energy or the time to do more than that at the end of the night after the kids are all put to bed and everything's done I will fold a load of laundry while I watch an episode of the show I've been waiting for that's a good I like that. That's that's one way that I do it. And then I go to bed and I'm a happy girl. Mm-hmm. And you have laundry put away and you have, you know. Well, it's not put away, but it's folded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> I mean, it's a step, right? Like you're doing a step in the laundry. And I think when we, we look at things like laundry, we think of it in like these, these big chunks. Like I have to do the full thing. And like, maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's just like that you have to like do a step towards the thing. Yeah. And then that can help with the perfectionist right all or nothing mindset yeah all right guys so tune in to our next episode where we're going to cover motivation and motivation killers for our kids and skills and things we can do to set them up for success okay guys um this is actually chapter seven so if you're following along in the book this is chapter seven solving motivational murders sorry Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, Creating Community and Smashing Parental Stigma, Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.